beautiful people, and welcome into another episode of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and it's, uh, you know, it's a weird time of the year. It's, I hope everybody's enjoying their summer. I know summer's basically coming to an end here, so I hope people are wrapping it up nicely. I know kids are back to school, Arif, and I know that because the annoying neighbor kids that are usually screeching all summer long haven't been screeching in a while, so it's time to get back to a little bit of normalcy and can a little we, bit of rhythm. Can, can we can we talk talk a little bit about that for a second? I found out a few weeks ago that people in Colorado go to school in early August. I don't know. It's been where, a long time for me. Where? Yeah, I mean, you, you graduated high school like twenty nine years ago, but uh, where I come from, you don't start school till after Labor Day, so that's different. But I heard you guys also end in May. I don't know. It's really weird. To me, school starts in September and like kids are already, I'm seeing school buses on the street. It's really weird, but whatever. I'm still getting used to Colorado. I'm I'm fine with it. Absolutely. And with the, you know, with the fall season, you can really feel it changing. And uh, with that, you're just inching closer to hockey season, which I'm suddenly antsy for. You know, it's weird how during the season, usually around December, you get tired of it and you're like, all right, the season's kind of dragging out. And then towards the end of the regular season, of course, it starts to drag on again and Honestly, by the end of the playoffs for me this year, anyway, I was like, "All right, let's get this season out, like over with already." But now I'm ready for it again. I'm excited. So, um, you know, I kind of like I kind of like this uh, shortened off season because, like, it's August 26, man. The draft, the second day of the draft was a month ago today, and usually that should have been two months ago in late June. This year was in late August, or sorry, late July. So, like, rather than having 60 days of the summer dragging until there's something exciting again. Free agency was 28, 29 days ago, which is kind of crazy to see. Like Philip Grubauer signed with the Seahawks 29 days ago. It feels like it's been two months. Yeah, and you still see some trickle-down contracts being signed here, right? I mean, Sean Couturier just signed his. Um, so, you know, there's still some deals being made, even though it feels like it, the, the free agency period is just dead and over. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, we're get, we're we're right around the corner from PTO season. That's one of my favorite times of the year. It's who didn't get a free agency contract that's going to get a professional tryout somewhere to see if they still have it. Yeah, and of course, you know, with these short off seasons, I mean, I saw a picture of PK Subban. The, uh, what was it today? Oh my I saw a picture God. of PK. Yeah, and he's ripped because he hasn't Jacked. been playing as much hockey as the rest yeah. of everybody else. No cardio, <laughs> just weights. He's just he's just been hitting the hell out yeah. of the weights. So he's ready to go. I'm sure this offseason, you know, is nice for him. But you ask the Tampa Bay Lightning on the other side of the spectrum, and they're probably saying this offseason is not long enough. This isn't fair, but who, yeah. who cares? We've said this before. The Avalanche got eliminated in the second round, and that was early June. That's around the time when the Cup is usually awarded. So the Avalanche this year have the offseason length of a team that usually wins or loses in the Stanley Cup final. So it's it's kind of interesting when you look at it that way. And then there were still two rounds after that for four teams. Well, and when you leave the playoffs like the Avalanche did with a bitter taste in your mouth, right? I guess it's nice to kind of have this quick offseason and quick turnaround because you're already getting ready for training camp here shortly. So um, this is one of the offseason podcasts that we have for you. you got to come back and say what's up. So it's going to be a little bit scattered across the NHL, a little bit uh, Colorado Avalanche focus. You know, we're just trying to fill an hour here for everybody, check in and say hi and maybe provide a little bit of entertainment because I know my hockey podcasts are running dry right now. But um, yeah. You know, it's it's a little bit sad that we, we have to start the podcast with this, but, um, you know, it's at the forefront of the hockey news, and that's the passing away of Jimmy Hayes. I mean, it was so crazy how um, just random it was and unexpected and how young, you know, he's two years younger than I am. Um, so, you know, it really hit home and, you know, just sucks. Really terrible thing for the hockey world. Yeah, it, it's it's such a bummer. And Jimmy Hayes was not by any means like a long-term NHL player. He he had some good seasons. I think he had like 35 points was his career high and stuff like that. Played for a few teams. But the reason why he's more of a personality, I believe he played 350 games or right around there, 340. The reason why he's, he's such a well-known personality is for two reasons. Number one, he's from Boston. Uh, he's Well, he's not from Boston. He's from Massachusetts. So he's very well-known in the Boston area. Uh, and, and people in Boston love their hockey. Like he's part of that, you know, kind of like Jack Eichel is kind of known in Boston because he went to BU and he's one of those guys. Um, that's how Jimmy Hayes is. And his brother, Kevin Hayes, plays for the Flyers. He's cousins with Tom Fitzgerald, who used to play for the Avs, who's the Devils GM now. Uh, he's got some family ties in the NHL. Keith Kachuk is related to him. So that means both Brady and Matthew are related to him. So he's really got a lot of ties in the hockey world, which is why this is such a bummer because you can see how many people it's impacted. 
And then more so than that, similar to the guys at Chicklets, he's part of the Missing Curfew podcast. So, you know, even though he wasn't by any means a top line all-star in the NHL, he's someone that I listen to quite often. Like he was, uh, what do they call him? Scoopsy or Broadway? He had all the scoops on the podcast with Shane O'Brien, former Av, and with uh, Scotty Upshaw. And uh, it's just really, really odd because, you know, I was in Detroit a few weeks ago and on the flight to Detroit uh, before his death, or sorry, on the flight back from Detroit last Sunday or last Saturday, two days before his death, I was listening to the Missing Curfew. It's like you said, hockey podcasts are kind of running dry right now. But Missing Curfew released an episode where it was the best of for the season. And there was all these different clips of all the different interviews they had throughout the season. And I literally was on this flight back from Detroit two days before he died and listening to him like in all these episodes throughout the year that I listened to when they were released. And then Monday morning, he was gone. So it kind of, it shook the hockey world. It happened really suddenly and really randomly. And it's, it's a bummer, but it's, it just kind of shows how small the hockey community is. Because again, like we say, every single time one of these unfortunate events happen, it's like everybody is connected one way or another. Like Kachuk was a different generation. Tom Fitzgerald played for the Avalanche in the 90s. Jimmy Hayes' brother plays for the Flyers in 2021. And it just seems like every kind of generation has been has been impacted by this one way or another. Looking across the podcast world, right, and it's a trend you're seeing in the last five years, and that's players who weren't necessarily good players. I mean, like Ryan Whitney comes to mind. I mean, he was a decent player, but nothing spectacular. But, you know, you look at at that podcast with Shane O'Brien, not a great player. You look at the John Scott podcast, for example. These guys are all great locker room guys. They're they're great podcasters because they're fun to be around. They tell funny stories. They tell great things. And none of them are really great players. So he's part of that wave. And that's just exactly kind of tells you who he was. Like you said, he wasn't a spectacular player, but he was so embraced by his teammates. And in hockey, that matters more than anything. I mean, it matters way more than the points you put up on the scoreboard. So, you know, looking at some of the videos of him interacting with some of his old teammates, you could just really get that sense. And again, with the podcasting, that's just the guy you have to be is a a guy who's just loved around the locker room. And you could tell that's exactly who he was. Yeah, and what's that one uh, golf thing that Spit and Chicklets does? The uh, the Sandbagger Invitational, the one that Crosby and McKinnon started. He he did one of those with Tim Stapleton, who, by the way, if if you haven't listened to Tim Stapleton on any Chicklets episode, he is just absolutely hilarious. But uh, Jimmy and Tim Stapleton did a, did one of those Sandbagger Invitationals together, and you can just tell how great of a character this guy was. Just a just an all around great dude, and. Uh, it's a bummer. I mean, it's those guys, like you said, the reason why they're so successful with podcasts is because they're ultimately, when they leave hockey, what they're itching for, they're depth players. Shane O'Brien was a depth guy. He's a depth guy. Ryan Whitney kind of started strong, became a depth guy. Paul Bissonnette, we all know his career. He's kind of a plug and likes to, he's very self-deprecating about that, uh, being a fourth line fighter and all that. But, uh, that's kind of the thing about these guys is when they're great locker room guys, they need to find a way to, to, to satisfy that itch. Like, it's really weird. You see the best players in the NHL, they end up going into like management roles because they want to satisfy that competitive itch. You know, the the, the Joe Sackicks, the Luke Robitaille, Eisenman, Blake, all these guys want to satisfy that itch. So they get into management or coaching because they want to be on that front line. The guys that were locker room guys like Shane O'Brien, like this guy, like Whitney, like Bit, like Paul Bizonette, they they want to satisfy the itch of just having a good time with their buddies, with their boys, with, with their teammates. And that's why they start these podcasts. And it's just, uh, again, it's sad, you know, we're talking about Jimmy Hayes passing, but, uh, that's the kind of guy he was. And, and if you haven't listened to any of the missing curfew podcasts, I, you know, I'd urge as, as sad as it is to go back and listen to him now, I'd, I'd, I'd urge going back and listening to it. It's just, it's really weird to me that that podcast is going to continue without Shane O'Brien introducing Broadway, Jimmy Scoopsy every episode. And, uh, it's a bummer. And, you know, obviously he had a young family and it's just, it's sad to see. Yeah, I mean, it's something I couldn't really wrap my mind around. I mean, it would be so tough to have somebody that close to me, um, you know, and that young pass. So obviously our respects and we had to dedicate a little bit of time to uh, going off the avalanche board. But bringing it back to the Colorado avalanche here, Arif, since we last spoke, they brought back Peter Budai to uh, become the new development coach. Now, I guess my first question with that is, is he replacing anybody or is this a new role they're now creating to kind of put a little bit more attention in developing the goaltending. I think that's what it is. I think this is UC Parkula saying, uh, I love my job and I love what I'm doing, but I need helpers and I need people that want to be here. 
And what better of a person that wants to be here than Avalanche alumni, Peter Budai, like right out of left field. I forgot about him. I know he was in LA for a while. He was in Tampa Bay. He was part of that Ben Bishop trade that sent Bishop to LA from Tampa, I believe, uh, for that playoff run late in the season. But it's been a while since I've heard from him. I'm really excited because, you know, for, for my sake, for my case, not that, you know, locker room access or even being able to talk to development coaches is a thing in this organization, but to be able to see Peter Budai around the rink, which we likely will in games, probably in the press box and stuff, is going to be different for me because this is a guy that I grew up watching when I was 13 and 14 living in Detroit. Like this is that generation. I've never actually experienced him in the generation of me doing this professionally. So it's going to be really cool to see him in person because he's going to bring me back to those days. You know, the days of uh, Brett McLean and Tyler Arneson and then all the glory years of the Avalanche when they had those teams coming out the lockout in 0405. But I'm really excited to see what he can do. You know, it doesn't, it's not usually the all-star NHL goalies that, that get into these roles. It's the guys like this. It's the more, uh, lower, lower echelon of skill goalies that end up doing something like this. You know, Sean Burke is a goalie coach. Uh, I believe Archer's Urbe is a goalie coach. So these are the kind of guys that usually succeed in these roles. So I'm really excited to see what Budai can do. Yeah. I mean, it was interesting. I feel like he just retired recently, but he was one of those guys that you thought retired. And every time you turn around, you see him playing again in another yeah. jersey with that nerdy Ned Flanders <laughs> cartoon on his helmet. Oh, so, my God. Um, yeah. But yeah, obviously uh, uh, something that the Avalanche need to pay a little bit of attention to. You know, I have right now in front of me a list pulled up of all the goaltenders in the history of the Colorado Avalanche. You know, some that maybe played one game, some that played a lot more than that. And it's since, let's say, 2014. There's just been so many more goaltenders. There's been 18 goaltenders out of 55. I mean, that's, you know, almost half of the goaltenders have been in the last eight years. So they obviously have a problem with finding guys that they want to keep around and developing, right? I mean, that's his role yeah. here, development goalie coach. All the goalies that they've been drafting, and they're putting a lot of stock in goaltending drafting lately, they need to start panning out. And I think that's a clear sign of the Avalanche saying that right there. Yeah, I mean, a lot of that from 2014 to now, the reason for a lot of that is because Semyon Varlamov couldn't freaking stay healthy. But, uh, you know, at the same time, I, I do agree with that. I, I think this organization has done a lot of great things. And one of the things that they used to never be good at, but they've suddenly gotten good at is they couldn't develop defensemen. You know, Tyson Berry was drafted in the third round in 09, but then they had a swing and a miss on Duncan Siemens, who was taken two spots after Dougie Hamilton you know, the big UFA 13 years later, however long it's been now, uh, actually 10 years later, it was 2011. So the Avalanche were never good at that. Then they took Kale McCarr. Then they took Bowen Byram. Then you saw Connor Timmins kind of come into his own. And now you're starting to see more of these guys. You got Justin Barron about to come into his own. You got Drew Hellison hopefully coming into his own. Suddenly they're getting good at developing defensemen. They always struggled with, uh, with that and they were able to fix that issue. The other thing that they've continued to struggle with as an organization is developing goaltenders. I mean, who have the starters been since Patrick Wall retired? Who, by the way, Patty was also a trade acquisition. But who have the starters been since then? It was David Abisher, who they, you know, drafted, developed, was they were hoping would be the next big thing. They were hoping would be the Aaron Rodgers behind Brett Favre. It never turned out to be that way. David Abisher was traded for Jose Theodore, who was here for a while. Theodore walked. Peter Budai was a starter for a little bit of a while. Um, I feel like I'm missing somebody in there. Andrew Raycroft they brought in to kind of try to be a stopgap. Eventually, they ended up with uh, Semyon Varlamov. They brought in Jaguar. Yep. Yeah, they brought in Jaguar that same summer as Varley. They kind of were a tandem for a little while. Um, there was somebody, who did they trade for that I'm forgetting uh, before Grubauer? Are you thinking Reto Berra? Reto Berra, yep, Reto Berra, and then... Yeah, I mean, the list goes geez, on. There's yeah, a lot of Philip guys Grubauer, There's a lot of guys. They obviously, you know, Pavel Francouz was a, was a nice breath of fresh air because that's somebody that they at least scouted, even though they didn't draft and develop him. They scouted an older guy in his mid to late 20s that ended up being good NHLer who, by the way, he's returning. And if you remember before the COVID pause in 2020, he was doing a lot better than Grubauer. So I, I think... I think the Avalanche should be excited about this kemper Francis tandem. And now, obviously, Darcy Kemper. And what did it cost? It cost you a first-round draft pick and one of those defensemen that you finally learned how to develop. So that's the next part that the Avalanche need to do as an organization. They need to find a way. They finally found a way how to trade for players without selling the farm. 
because that's all they used to do in the Pierre Lacroix era. They finally learned how to how to elevate centermen and forwards from great players like Matt Duchesne was when he was here to superstars like Rantanen and McKinnon are. Like Duchesne never hit 80 points in Denver. Uh, they're finally able to uh, keep guys around like Gabe Landeskog, obviously Eric Johnson, even though he was a trade acquisition. They figured out the defenseman drafting. Now they got to figure out the goalie development. Peter Budai will hopefully help with that. Yeah, you love to see the progress around Colorado in the last five, six years or so in attention to goaltending, right? I mean, we're a long way from uh, Francois Allaire and, uh, you know, his lackadaisical, <laughs> I would call it, goaltend, goaltend coaching. Um, yeah, obviously a lot more attention. I mean, the addition of Parkula was always nice, but seeing more attention and more investing going on in the goaltending department just can't, you know, you, you love the direction that it's heading heading towards. And with Peter Budai, you got to think that, you know, international goaltending mm-hmm. and the scouting around that is definitely going to take a, a notch up because they take a lot of shots at, at foreign goaltenders, foreign meaning not Canadian or, or American. Um, and, you know, they only have been pretty mediocre, I would say. So um, hopefully he, he helps increase that. Yeah, Eustace Annanen comes to mind. That might be the next avalanche goalie of the future. And he's from Finland. So... It's actually weird now that I think about it. Going back to Patrick Waugh, I think the only starter that was actually Canadian or American that was considered a starter when he was here, so, you know, that's not counting Jaguar, he was known to be a backup, was, uh, who his name escapes me, oh, Josie Theodore. That's it. Gruby is obviously German. Varlamov is from Russia. Retobera, was he Switzerland? He was Swiss. Mm-hmm. Uh, David Abisher, also Swiss. It's really weird that they've had two Swiss starters and one Canadian starter since Patrick Waugh retired. So it's kind of been all over the board and now they have Darcy Kemper. So yeah, they they seem to always like that European touch when they draft and Peter Budai will definitely help. I don't even know where he lives. I don't know if he lives in Denver. I don't know if he lives in the States or maybe he lives in Europe and that's why they brought him on board. I mean, he's in charge of development. So you'd kind of rather see him, you know, around the Eagles, if anything, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So moving on, sticking with great goaltenders. European ones that it is. Um, Henrik Lundqvist officially announced his retirement. Now, was this more of a medically forced or did he just simply, he wasn't able to find a job in the NHL this season? I think it was just fatigue. He got bought out by the Rangers. He did this whole thing where he signed with Washington after the bubble and all that stuff and signed with Washington and then had that whole health scare with his heart last year tried to fight back, was really close to coming back. I don't think people realize how close he was to coming back right before the playoffs and you know around the trade deadline time for the Capitals. That didn't happen. Now he's back to A, figuring out his health and B, being you know close to 40 years old and trying to find a new job. I think it just got tiring. It's all just a lot. And um, you know, let's not act like his skills weren't withering away from being the all-star that he was. I still think he could have been a a, a decent goalie and and a, and a good pickup for anybody, and especially if he played for the Capitals last year, he would have had decent numbers. But it probably just got all too much. Like, what am I doing? Let's let's just call it a day. Yeah, I mean, what he like you said, he was almost close to coming back for the Capitals, but what held him back? I mean, I think it was a setback in his it was in yeah. his heart. So you can't yep rule that idea out that it was just and, simply and you don't you want know, to maybe risk that. Up another setback or yeah you don't want to risk another setback and you know it was a hard conversation to him for him to have because he really wanted to come back he really wanted to fight we remember all those conversations two years ago of bring Lundqvist to the avalanche and let him make a run for the cup um fortunately it didn't happen but um you know because they'd be left in a pretty t- tough spot in the goaltending tougher than they might already be but um, you know, you, you can't have anything but respect for the guy. It just sucks to see the way he, he kind of went out being a guy that nobody really wanted, a guy that, wh- whose body kind of broke down on him and, and threw in the towel before he was mentally ready. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, that's one way to look at it at the other, on the other end, I, I always appreciate or not appreciate, but I'm always, it's good to see that he at least got to have a long career. So this wasn't a career cut short, like Pavel Bure or even Peter Forsberg, This was kind of more up the alley of like a Chris Pronger who, you know, had a long successful career and then something happened health-wise that made him end his career a little bit earlier. And I mean, for Lundqvist, he's 39. He did have a long successful 15, 16 year NHL career. So it sucks when you don't get to leave on your own terms. And I think a lot of athletes always say leaving on your own terms is one of like the biggest blessings in hockey uh, or in sports in general. 
but uh, it sucks he never got that, but he still had a long career. Uh, one of the things that I like to look at with the best goalies in the NHL, I'm sure you remember this. Remember when Patrick Waugh passed Terry Sawchuk for the most wins? I do. Yeah, so Terry Sawchuk retired with 445 wins. Patty obviously got 446 that one game. It was against the Capitals back in 2000, the cup-winning year. I always like to use that as like my line to draw of the best goalies in the NHL because since Waugh has passed it, obviously Brodeur has passed it and has passed Waugh. So you got Brodeur 1, Waugh 2, Fleury 3 at 492, and he's still active. So he's only 51 plus 8, 59 wins away from Patrick Waugh. Then Roberto Luongo fourth, Ed Belfour fifth. In seventh place is Curtis Joseph, eighth is Sawchuk, and Henrik Lundqvist is right there in sixth. So he had 15 wins more than Terry Sawchuk. So that's a long, successful career. He got to 459 wins. Um, one of the best in the game. He never got to win a cup. He carried a lot of Rangers teams for so many years, but uh, it's, it's good to see that he at least got to have a longer, more successful career, even though he didn't win a cup. Uh, before eventually the health scare, you know, happened, which sucks either way, but you know, not to him. He won a gold medal in 2006 in the Olympics and he's just, he had a great career. Yeah. I'll never forget that year. He was so close to a cup and then LA came and shattered his dreams. Right. And then LA wasn't supposed to be there really. And, and New York had such a great run in that playoff. And, you know, I guess they got lucky. Carey Price wasn't playing, I think in the semifinals though. So they had to beat Dustin Tokarski. And they went on to, to the final. Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, they uh, they had that Dustin Tokarski. And they also had, um, that was the Marty St. Saint Louis Saint Cinderella mm-hmm. run. That was after the St. Louis for Callahan trade. And then I believe Marty St. Louis' mom passed away in the playoffs. And that kind of became a big thing around the locker room. They, they kind of had all the stars aligning for them to win the cup. But on the other hand, on the other side, the eighth seed was the team that genuinely had all the stars aligning for them because they were just steamrolling teams as the number eight team. So, uh, you know, it sucks he never got to get that cup, but, you know, it's a lot of great players haven't won cups. He's a great player. He's going to be in the Hall of Fame someday. You know, ESPN's mouth is just watering right now, oh, too, trying to get yeah. him to be an analyst. Hopefully they yeah. haven't filled up their lineup already. Yeah, if addition. you're looking for a new sexy NHL player to watch on TV because Patrick Sharp works for NBC, it's probably that guy. <laughs> I see you blushing a little bit there, Arif, but is Patrick Sharp on the ESPN crew right now? Because having them both would just be a killer. I mean, how are you even supposed to focus on what they're saying with those piercing eyes? I feel bad for the third <laughs> guy that's got to be on that panel. Like it's them two and some third dude that's like, I'm not even going to try. I honestly don't know if Patrick Sharp uh, ended up getting a job anywhere else. Uh, if ESPN and Turner Sports are looking to go in a different direction in terms of like the entertainment factor, then maybe they maybe they look away from him. We'll see. Hey, he can always be a podcaster, right? Everybody and their mother is a podcaster these yeah, days. Yeah, so. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't know if he's good enough to be on Hockey Mountain High, but he can start some new thing with like a former teammate and kind of see if he gets downloads, see if he has a following or not, you know. Few people are good enough. Few people are. Um, <laughs> moving on, I guess another little bit tidbit of news around Avalanche land is the uh, numbers of the new guys have come out. We're going to start with Darcy Kemper rocking 35. Helm is going to wear 43. McDermott is going to rock 56. Murray with 28 and Maltsev with 11. Anything stand out to you with those numbers? Yeah, what's Jonas Johansson going to wear? That's, that's on the top of my mind. He was 35, wasn't he? Yeah, I just don't think he's they're planning on using him at all so <laughs> he's like what number am i gonna wear they're like just we don't care <laughs> like we we got a new goalie hopefully he doesn't get injured something. we gotta call you pick, pick yeah. something flip, in the 70 flip on 53 there you go this isn't even a goalie jersey coach um but no darcy kemper wearing 35 i mean that's what he's always worn right yeah that's why he wore in arizona Not much different there just kind of it, a lame number to me it's, just because yeah. it's so it's a five, right? Yeah. It's a five tens, 15, 20. Those are always kind of boring, but whatever. As long as it's a 30 number, I think that's okay. Ones are cool. Um, but yeah, I'm fine with it. Not my favorite number. Odd numbers. I'm a big odd number guy. So am I. And Maltsev wearing 11 is going to look a little odd at first because we're used to Matt Calvert for so many years. Um, I think Blake Coma wore 11 too. No, he didn't. No, he was 14. 14, yes, um, you're right. But yeah, Maltsev wore 11 for, or sorry, Calvert wore 11 for the last few years. So it's going to be weird to get used to that, but I mean, yeah. other than that, not really much to talk about here on Jersey numbers. Helm wearing 43 is funny to me. I mean, that's what he wore in Detroit because that's what I thought Kadri would wear because that's what he wore in Toronto. Then he like kind of, 
threw an eight ball at everybody and went with 91, which was pretty interesting. But it looks good on him. I don't know if he's throwing eight balls. I think he's throwing curve balls. Hopefully he's not curve. Throwing, throwing eight balls did at I people. Say, did, did I say eight ball? <laughs> you know it's August when. Also, Ryan Murray, I believe, wore 27 everywhere he was before this, or at least in Columbus. So I thought he was just going to slot into Ryan Graves' old number. But, you know, he's he's fighting the good fight and going with 28 instead. Yep, fantastic number conversation here. Moving on to rookie <laughs> camp that was uh, announced. They really say eight ball. That's <laughs> unreal. Um, they're participating in another rookie face-off. Uh, they were the originators of it. I remember, I think it was five or six years ago, and they've been doing it ever since, which means uh, we got to be right around the corner from having it back in Colorado, so that's exciting. But these uh, rookie face-offs are fun. I love this idea. Whoever came up with it deserves a raise if they haven't gotten it already. But it's it's cool to check out some of the guys that are, are up and coming, right? I remember that was the first look that we had of Alex Kerfoot. Um, so, you know, there's going to be a couple of guys that we're going to get to look at here that might jump into the NHL squad, right? I mean, Sampo Ranta is a name that strikes me as we might be able to see in both the face-off and on the NHL squad. So, of course, there's going to be mostly a bunch of guys we'll never see again, but it's just a fun little tournament, and I love it. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun, and this year they're going to obviously do... Uh, they're going to be in Arizona, and uh, they're going to partake in it with the three teams from California, Anaheim, San Jose, and LA. They're going to play three games in four days, and uh, the coolest thing about it is th- those are September 17 to 20, and training camp usually isn't far behind it. So if you think about it, we're we're less than a month away from training camp, and that's that's kind of crazy. Yeah, absolutely. And luckily we get to stream it, right? I mean, that's something that they actually do right with this is they let yeah. us see it. I mean, you know, you would expect them to keep this behind closed doors and people who attend only, but I love getting the chance to stream it. It gets your feet wet back into hockey, usually a choppy, pixelated stream, but hey, you're watching yeah. some hockey and, and getting to do a little preseason analysis. Like I said, some guys actually make the team, so it's fun to keep an eye on what they have to offer. Yeah, and that's going to be the first look at the new look Avalanche jerseys because we know it's pretty much been confirmed now with the Avalanche selling away jerseys for 50% off that those numbers are going to trade, are going to change on the back that we saw on the, on prospect Bialski's jersey, Andre Bialski. They're going to go with the blue number, the blue outline numbers on the back. They might do something with the home jersey too, because I saw those were heavily discounted too. So maybe they're changing the numbers for all of them to kind of really push further into the branding of burgundy and blue, which I mean, I nerd out about the stuff and I, I, I still love the change to blue last year. And I think the more they do it, the better. Yeah, no, that'll look really cool. Did you say 50%? Because that'll make a great Christmas present for my girlfriend. I did that a couple years ago when they changed jerseys, got her a discounted jersey. She didn't know the mm-hmm. difference. She loved it, thought I got her this nice expensive jersey. So sounds like I'm doing that again this year. I believe so. I believe the the home jerseys are are discounted to 40% off and those come out to 144. So the away jerseys might be even cheaper than that. Let's go. I'm with it. Let's, Let's get this transition it. going. Um, yeah, speaking of Arizona, they might relocate. That's some more NHL news going on around the the NHL world. So I guess, you know, what's your take on that? They say that they're going to really try f- to fight hard and find another um, arena in the Phoenix area, but it, it seems kind of tough. What's the issue with them not being able to play with the Suns arena? Uh, why is there two different arenas? I, I don't understand that. But do you think they're going to stay in Arizona or is, are they probably on the move somewhere? It's all going to be decided here very soon because the biggest thing is, you know, Gary Bettman's been fighting hard for this for years. This is the same organization that was owned by the NHL for so long. Like Bettman, for whatever reason, Arizona's the hill he's died on. And I think understandably so for his case, the reason why that is, is because like as stupid as it is to say this out loud right now, that that city can have a good fan base, but it's just been misplaced step after misstep after bad decision making after bad decision like it was there was never like they never got a chance to really make it unlike the Atlanta Thrashers who the Atlanta Thrashers had damn good players they had the Kovalchuks and and Heatleys and Savards and Hosas even they had good guys play there Victor Kozlov played there for a while hell 75 year old Chris Chelios played there for a few games they had some good players but it just wasn't it wasn't a hockey town Arizona you can tell it would be good if they just had proper ownership, proper, you know, the right people there to make the right decisions to 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 really make it succeed. So I think that's why Gary Bettman's kind of like died on that hill for all these years of he wants to save them. But the reality is, if they can't find a place to play in 12 months, kind of like the Atlanta Thrashers, they got to go. And uh, I know they're looking in temp 
Tempe or Temp, I don't know how to pronounce it, Arizona. They want to build an arena out there. Obviously, they want to get them closer to closer to Scottsdale, away from Glendale. Look at you guys nodding your heads at me. I'm I'm from the Midwest and I'm Canadian A. I don't really know this side of the world. Hey, as long as Colorado people are <laughs> going to keep pronouncing it Quebec instead of Quebec, I can say whatever the hell I want to. That's that's the way that I see it. But uh, back on topic, if if they can't find a place to play in the next 12 months, they're going to have to move them. So I'm really excited for the next rookie tournament uh, in Houston because that's going to be the next team of where the Coyotes are playing, I think. Yeah, I'd, I wouldn't be surprised if that happens because like you were saying, for some reason, Bettman has an affinity for Arizona, but he also has an affinity for kind of this model he's created in his time in the NHL of putting teams where they don't necessarily belong, right? And so I think that's why Houston would be a great fit. Arizona was a great fit. And Austin Matthews, I guess you can he can point to, Gary Bettman can directly point to Austin Matthews and be like, look, see, this is why I put a team in Arizona. Because you get things like this that you might not have had without a hockey team there to yeah. kind of spark that interest. So, um, you know, I get why he kind of loves having that Arizona and try to make it last as long as he possibly can because he's done great for the hockey culture around that state. I'll tell you this. If if the Coyotes end up moving because of this issue right now, I mean, and they've been under, you know, under fire for a while now. If you remember back in December, the Athletic released that article where they were late on payments. They weren't paying teams. They hadn't paid the arena, uh, Gila River Arena. They were late on payments there to the point where Gila River Arena and the, and the city of Glendale, the arena came out last week and said when they announced that they're not going to renew the lease and they don't want the Coyotes there past this season, they basically said, we just need to fill 21 concert dates to make the money we were making for 41 Arizona Coyotes home games. 21 concerts. That's how bad their attendance for the Coyotes was and how cheap their tickets was. All it takes is 21 uh, Miley Cyruses and The weekend and whoever the hell is popular nowadays. Miley Cyrus is like 10 years ago, I know. But that's all it's going to take. So the reality is if they don't have a place to play, they're going to be gone. But I don't know if it's going to happen in our lifetime, but I will say this. If the Coyotes don't make it past next season and they end up relocating, kind of like the Atlanta Flames many decades ago, I think that city gets a second chance and hopefully with better ownership because you can look at someone like Austin Matthews and say, this is what we got from having a team out there. You can't say the same about Atlanta Thrashers or Atlanta Flames or a lot of the other cities that might not be, you know, the places to have a hockey team like Sunrise, Florida, but... That's beyond the point. The reality is we'll see what happens with this, but the fact that the Arizona Coyotes are in that central division now uh, makes it a little bit easier because that's where the Dallas Stars are. That's where the Houston Coyotes or whatever the hell you want to call them would be. Uh, it would just be an easy move, and it's good that the NHL has a backup city like that. Uh, obviously, people in Quebec are screaming at me right now going, why the hell can't we get our Nordiques back? But realignment kind of makes it hard. It's just a bummer that they're such a bad team. I mean, they're rebuilding for the third time in like four years yeah and so you know that was part of the allure of the colorado avalanche when they moved to colorado right a lot of people were like what is this sport this is interesting we haven't seen this around here this isn't football whoa this team's really good oh yeah. wow this team's really good they just traded for who roy what's his name yeah and patrick roy this guy's great and and that's really what sparked a lot of people's passionate fanhood around here in colorado so you know to just move a mediocre less than mediocre team to a new city that doesn't really know hockey too well might be a bit of a gamble. So, you know, yeah. I hope for them they could just stop taking everybody's bad contracts and start to build the real freaking team already. Yeah, you know, they're going to be led by Captain Shane Gostaspare and the shadows and, and the ghosts of Pavel Datsuk and Chris Pronger and Dave Boland and the many, many other people that have gone through that organization to never play a game for them. So we'll see. I think uh, if the NHL ends up moving the Coyotes to Houston, then the only way or Quebec ends up getting a team back is because Florida ends up crapping out at some point, but they seem to be doing fine right now. So we'll see on that. So uh, coming back to the Avalanche, uh, we wanted to kind of touch on an article that you recently wrote, which is kind of previewing the season and looking at some guys who might come and make a breakthrough um, with their careers and have a, maybe a career season and really put themselves on the map uh, in terms of the the rest of the NHL. So I want to let you get a little bit into that, and I'll just kind of uh, play along with you because I did check out some of the names. I did check out what you wrote, and I, I like the direction of it. And you started with a guy that I really think 
is going to have a, a breakout season. I mean, you could tell just by how confident he is, and that's Logan O'Connor, right? Not only how confident yeah. he is, but how confident the coaching staff and the team is in him and how many eggs it seems that they're placing in his basket. I think he's going to respond great. Yeah, you kind of saw him uh, come into his own in the bubble against the Dallas Stars. He was starting to have a good playoff, even against the Coyotes. I think he played some games. And, you know, he got lost in a numbers game. He had some injury issues. There's just a lot of guys ahead of him. But we saw what happened this season. The Avalanche lost five, six, seven, eight guys from their roster and replaced them with, you know, the new numbers, four or five guys. Like there's clearly spots available. And we've talked all this time about obviously Alex Newhook jumping into a full-time role and things like that. So there's clearly spots available. Logan O'Connor, pretty much this is the first time in his career with the Avs, his fourth season since he he was drafted, or not drafted, since he signed coming out of Denver University. This is the first time he's pretty much got a top 12 spot all but locked up right away. So he played mostly on the third, on the fourth line in whatever games he did see with the Avs. I wouldn't be surprised if he tries to jump into a third line spot. You know, maybe he tries to grow. Maybe he ends up being like that Jonas Donskoy type of utility player that can play on the third line. Like we don't know what he has offensively because he's just never been given a shot at the NHL level. He's developed his game well with the Eagles. He's got 31 goals and 67 points in 104 combined AHL games over the last few seasons with the, with the Avalanche organization. So I'm really intrigued by him. He's 25 years old. Like this is his time. He was a captain for, for DU for the Pios and I'm really, really intrigued by him because him jumping into a top nine role would be massive for the Avalanche because Alex Newhook is trying to fight for that kind of a spot. But there's also a couple guys on the third line that might have to jump into the top six. So if Logan O'Connor suddenly becomes a reliable top nine forward, that just gives you another third line option that suddenly you didn't think you had before the season started. Yeah, battling with a number of injuries this year. Um, so hopefully he comes back really strong because that's going to be imperative for him. He he plays yeah. in such a style. He's like a miniature version of Landeskog with the exact same style and exact same mentality, right? He's just a smaller version of him. So to play that kind of physical style, I really hope that his health holds up because then, yeah, I'm with you. He he can really reach, you know, I wouldn't don't want to say the sky's the limit. There's definitely a ceiling on him, but he can definitely yeah. reach a high potential and higher than we've seen him reach yet. So, um, yeah, fingers crossed that he's stays healthy. I mean, I'm fully confident he's going to enter the season healthy. It's about can he stay with the style of play that he brings to the table. Yeah. Uh, Moving on from him, the next guy that I talked about was it's another player that is, you know, more of a veteran that's been around for a little bit. It's JT Comfer. And the reason why I mentioned JT, I know he's had a bad season. And if anybody's listening right now, they're going to say, what the hell do you think you're talking about? For the last 10 weeks, you've been complaining to us about trading JT. I know. But when you look at Comfer, he obviously kind of got lost this season and ended up on the fourth line with Belmar. And then I think Soderberg was playing with him for a while. It was a really weird line there for a little for a little bit at the end of the season. But JT kind of got lost in the shuffle when the Avalanche went out that one summer and brought in Kadri and Burakovsky and Donskoy and all those guys. Obviously, they ended up trading for Nemesnikov too. They brought in Nichushkin. He surpassed him. But... If JT Comfort plays on the second line left wing spot with Kadri and Burakovsky, it would be his first time getting a top six opportunity, like a legitimate top six opportunity. I know he was, you know, he covered for for Kadri with those injuries late in the year, uh, but it would be his first legitimate top six chance since he was playing on a line with a young Tyson Jost and a young Alex Kerfoot, Alexander Kerfoot. Apparently, that's a thing, but. Maybe, just maybe, he comes into his own. I know it's kind of a long shot, but playing with Kadri and Burakovsky, maybe he comes out and puts up 40 points. You never know. And that, for him, would be a breakout season. We're not looking for all-stars. We're just looking for guys that take the next step in their careers. And if that happens, he'll be on the last year of his deal. He'll have some value. The Avalanche can't afford his 3.5 next year. It would be a lot easier to trade him at that point. I can see that happening. Let's look at the type of player JT Comfort is. He's a guy with a chip on his shoulder. He's a hardworking, grittier guy. I say grittier, not necessarily gritty. But you don't think he's heard all the things and seen all the things people are saying about him this offseason? Oh, yeah. You don't think he's going to come out this year and try to prove everybody wrong, trying to prove the avalanche wrong for leaving him exposed, trying to prove us idiot media members for saying that he needs to be traded before the season ends? He's going to come out with a chip on his shoulder that hopefully 
puts him right there in the second line and he flourishes and, and he's a mainstay for the rest of the season because if not, we're back to square one with who do we put in that second line spot. And there's a couple more options we're going to talk about here, but, you know, no disrespect to his roommate if they still live together because I have no idea. But, you know, you know, he's sitting back and thinking people think Tyson Jost is now better than me. What happened to a couple years ago when we all wanted to trade Tyson Jost at the deadline and we couldn't find somebody to take him and now suddenly... Tyson is 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 more valuable than me. So you know he's got a chip on his shoulder. You know he wants to be a part of this core. And I mean, come on, dude. Like he he got traded to this team when they sucked. He was part of that Ryan O'Reilly trade. He joined the team just as they were going into that seven or they were in the middle of that 16, 17 season where they were terrible. He's been here long enough to say, I want to be here to win a cup. And 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 this is his chance to really take advantage of an opportunity of the fact that the Avalanche just don't have a top six left winger right now. And he might get an opportunity there. Yeah, I like that point. I don't think they're roommates anymore. I think one of the two bought a house. I think it was Tyson Joe's bought a house in Boulder. I keep keep yes. my eye on that market. It's, it's one of those real estate things that you're just in the know for. My sources say some guy at this real estate company somewhere. Speaking of which, uh, I went with the super cheesy realtor thing this year, and I made little magnets of the AV schedule. So if you want one or if anybody <laughs> out there wants uh, an AV magnet it. schedule for your ca- for your refrigerator. That is marketing. If you would do more of that Hit for a up. podcast, it would be great. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so moving on, JT Confer is, is another guy you think that's going to have a breakout year. Uh, you got quite the list here, so let's go to the next guy who uh, is Alex Newhook. Of course, a guy we all have really high expectations for. We've seen a bit of what he has to offer in what ways are you thinking of breakout? Uh, I'm thinking breakout in the sense where, and it's hard to call a rookie somebody that's going to come out and have a breakout, but because we've seen him in the NHL, I kind of, you know, put him into that is, you know, some rookies come into the NHL and they don't take the NHL by storm right away. We saw Tyler Sagan in his rookie season with Boston a decade ago, had 11, a goal, had 11 goals and 11 assists, and they won the Stanley Cup and he was a depth guy. But then you see other rookies come in like Nathan McKinnon when the, you know, when the rookie of the year put up 60 points, Matt Duchesne put up 50, even Ryan O'Reilly had 26 or whatever it was his rookie season, but he was really a good two-way player. So I think Newhook is going to be more of an impact or could be more of an impact guy than a guy that just kind of hovers and, and, and is a depth guy like Sagan was his rookie season. And it's going to be the same theme as the guy above him. If he gets that top six left wing spot, he takes off with it. He gets some power play minutes. The Avalanche are going to shelter him. He, he can put up 35 to 50 points, you know, playing 12 to 15 minutes a game. And and I'll call that a breakout for a team that has as much depth as this for a 19, 20 year old, whatever he is now to come in and put up that many points would be pretty impressive. Sometimes I wonder though, if they threw him into the fire a little bit too early because he got hurt. He got pretty banged up towards the end there and they kind of just used him because they didn't really have any other options they were running out of guys and said you know new hook it's your time let's see what you got he was the best option he was the best option and that's that's kind of the thing that bedner every time we asked him about new hook or ranta who we're going to talk about here in a second is these guys are going to give us the best option we're not here to give you know new hook a little taste of the nhl or this guy a taste or that guy taste we're here to win hockey games and you know compete for the stanley cup that's where the avalanche were last year and for whatever reason new hook they felt like was the best option. So he at least got a taste of it to know what to expect going into this season. Let's just hope that physically he can, he can hang. Cause like I said, he's kind of spent the end of the season there uh, banged up and in and out of the lineup. So if he yeah. can physically mature a little bit and, you know, I think we all know that skill wise and perhaps mental mentally, he's ready for the NHL. Is he physically ready? And and that's what one thing that Still, I think is a question mark, but I'm ready for him to prove. All me he's got to do is hit the gym with PK Subban, and he'll be gold. <laughs> he'll be golden. So yeah, that brings us to uh, Sample Ranta, a guy. A, a lot of us in Avalanche Land have been waiting and kind of exciting to see what uh, he has to bring. He's got a lot of skill. Yeah, I kind of like the guy we're going to talk to after him, and uh, we're going to talk about after him, and kind of like Logan O'Connor the last few years. The one thing that's getting in Sample Ranta's way is the fact that. I mean, number one, we still don't know what he is, but number two, there's just a lot of bodies ahead of him. But uh, have no fear, Sampo. You're playing for a team that has 15 injuries on any given November. So you're probably going to see a lot of hockey early on in the season uh, for that reason, because he's going to be a next man up at some point. So if he takes advantage of that opportunity, he he could be the guy. He could be a guy that suddenly comes in and plays like 25 games and scores 10 goals or something like that and really sets him up for an NHL career moving forward. But 
we'll see. And uh, I kind of like to lump him in with the guy that we're going to talk about after him, which I'll get to now is Martin Kaut. So Kaut was drafted. Now, Sorry, go before ahead. you start, yeah, before you start, ever since Kaut was drafted, I feel like if you open a who's going to break out this season article, it's going to be Martin Kaut on every yeah. single one. So tell us, Arif, why you think this year is going to be different than last. There's less guys ahead of him. And uh, last year was kind of funky because of the taxi squad, because of the American Hockey League schedule and season, the way it was, and just COVID in general. But you still had a lot of guys ahead of him. There's no more Belmars. There's no more Calverts. There's no more, uh, remind me, Donskoys and Sods. There's just a lot less guys. So number one, it's going to take a lot less injuries or whatever it may be for him to climb the depth chart. Or if he wants to battle it out at training camp, he doesn't have to beat as many guys. So that's one thing. But at the same time, you're going to put him in the same category as Newhook and Ranta in the sense where maybe their spots are not guaranteed. Maybe maybe Newhook's is, but maybe they're not guaranteed and they're all going to get an opportunity to one-up each other. While in past years, you knew Calvert was going to play. There was no shot they were going to sit Calvert. There was no shot they were going to sit Belmar, you know, assuming they were healthy or Donskoy. So at that point, if you're Martin Cowett, you're coming into training camp, which last year was so stupidly short and like wasn't really a real training camp. You're coming into that thinking... I have to beat out five NHL veterans on one-way deals to get a chance at this roster. Not going to happen. So it's a little bit different now. And it's this fact that he's going to be in competition with a few guys that are on two-way deals. And on you know cheap deals, even Logan O'Connor is not going to be making that much money. So if you're Martin Cowan and you're itching to make it to the NHL, this is a season where you look at, since you got drafted by the Avalanche, and say, okay, I have a legitimate chance here that I haven't had in years past. And if he's as good as we, you know, are hoping him to be for him to be, then then this is his time to really, really take off. So again, it's a wild card like Sampo Ranta because this is kind of going lower down the food chain. I think the Avalanche, even Mikhail Maltsev is someone that they look at more so than Martin Kaut, but there's a chance there for him and 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 it wouldn't surprise me if he does it. Yeah, and we've talked before how this compressed, it's still going to be an 82-game schedule, but it's compressed since we have the Olympic break in there, and they're just not used to this 82 games. They haven't done it in three years, so I think there's going to be plenty of opportunity for the Sample Rantas and the Martin Couts to get ice time um, due to injury and and filling in roles, and so um, this is kind of a make-or-break year for uh, Martin Couts, I would say, because it's about time he either makes something of himself around here or they decide to move on, which would be tough because it's another first-round pick that would go down yeah. the toilet. But getting to your last guy here, and this one I think is interesting because it feels like feels like we've seen his peak. It feels like we've seen what he has to offer the NHL. So, Arif, tell us why Valerie Nichushkin is going to have a breakout year this year. Okay, so do you remember when... Nichushkin played on a line way, way back. Think way back in your memory to before COVID. <laughs> when Nichushkin played on a line with, I know it's hard to look that far back, when he played on a line with Kadri and Burakovsky. And that's when, if you remember, when Nichushkin first signed with the Avalanche, he had that season in Dallas where he played a bunch of games and didn't score. And then his first 15, 20, whatever it was, games with the Avalanche, he just couldn't freaking bury the puck. Like it was closer and closer and closer until he finally scored. And then he kept scoring and then COVID happened. That was around the time when he was playing on a line with Kadri and Burakovsky before both those guys ended up getting injured. But during that short time, he was pretty good. I remember there was a double header against Chicago or a home and home against Chicago where he had two goals and one assist in one game. And then I think one and one the next game or something, but it was playing in that top six role. And this is when he was making 700 K coming off a season where he was bought out by the Dallas stars. So if you're the avalanche, You got this 26-year-old guy that you know is good for 30 to 35 points, good penalty killer, good defensive player, good analytics, plays with Tyson Jost. They're they're good shut down together. And you say, hmm, let's use him in the top six. Let's make him our second line left winger. And he plays with Burakovsky. Hopefully Burakovsky has a better season than last year and scores goals. Hopefully Kadri has a better season than last year and is in a snake bit. And you play him there for 82 games, assuming he's healthy. Can he put up 45 to 50 points? It's possible because he was already getting selkie votes before that. But if he puts up 45 to 50 points while continuing to do what he does defensively, suddenly you have a winger who is a selkie hopeful. And and even though it's kind of crazy to think that much about Valerie Nachushkin, and that's kind of like a, a hardcore, uh, it, it's, it's, you're, you're setting lofty goals for somebody who's never hit something like that before. 
He is, after all, just 26. And like I was saying with all the other guys, there is no more Donskoy and Saad ahead of him. It's 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 his spot to lose right now because he is the veteran. He is the proven commodity. You can't say that about Logan O'Connor. You can't say that about JT Comfer as a top six winger. You can't say that about Alex Newhook. You can about Val. It's hard for me to buy into that one as much because I feel like we've seen what he has. We, we've seen how he does have a tough time scoring. He's got a hell of a shot, but it just rarely finds the back of the net. Often goes over the crossbar or just the goalie somehow makes a, makes a nice save on him. So um, at this point, you either have it or you don't, and it seems like he just doesn't have that scoring knack. Am I saying he's, you know, I'm, I'm not saying he's useless around the team. He's obviously a great addition, but I don't see him having a better year per se than we've seen out of him already in an avalanche sweater. But Hey, I, I hope he proves me wrong and I hope he proves you, you never right know. Here, so. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you know, I, I, I'm obviously every single guy I'm talking about here in this article is to kind of say, what if, what if, what if, so that's the what ifs for him. I think my favorite part about writing this story is number one, a lot of the breakout is surrounded around other than Logan O'Connor. A lot of it's surrounded around who can get that top six spot. That's up for the taking. Because I don't think Logan O'Connor is going to be a top six guy. I think top nine is going to be a breakout for him. But the coolest thing about that is there are so many options that are kind of right there, like the Nichushkins, even Comfer, even Newhook, hell, even Ranta. He could get a chance there. Even Martin Kaut, he probably could get a chance there. These are goal-scoring guys. There are so many options there that you can deploy kind of like this group of guys. You don't need one guy in there to go in and put up 60 points. You just need two hot weeks of Val Nichushkin and oh, he's starting to kind of lose his touch. Well, let's bring up the rookie named Newhook. And oh, he's starting to get a little cold. Hey, Comfer, we're calling on you now. And you can kind of filter through these guys and let Kadri and Burakovsky do their thing. Hopefully they're healthy. Hopefully they have good seasons. And just carry whoever that third person is, let them get some momentum. And then when it falters, you kind of drop them down and bring up the next guy. It's, it's kind of unique to think about it that way. Obviously, you want consistent line mates. But there's quite a few options there of guys that are like right on the fringe so there's going to be a lot of competition for it, and that's always healthy for an organization. Yeah, I like it. I guess uh, I know you have Reddit comments you wanted to talk about that go in line with that article. Yeah, so I, I shared this on Reddit, and I like some of the things that some guys were saying. Um, so this is actually funny because you said it about Martin Kaut, but somebody, uh, Rowan underscore 818 said, I think the way Josie played last year, he is due. The guy works his ass off and shows up everywhere, but the score sheet, he's my pick to have a breakout. Someone responded saying, we say this about him every off season. And he said, I definitely had a hard time understanding how a guy who came in with so much pro- promise ended up being a healthy scratch and on the fourth line, but he has really become a strong role player. And this is interesting. He reminds me of Dan Hynote. He's a workhorse, but he's got skill and that's the difference maker. So, you know, he's a workhorse like Hynote, but unlike Hynote, he's got a lot more skill. So maybe it is Tyson Jost. I liked a couple of these other comments. Matt VN66 said, Nathan McKinnon, not his usual 90 to 100 points, but I'm talking berserk and putting up like 130 or something like that. Somebody said something similar about Miko Rantanen. Uh, somebody talked about uh, Alex Newhook. Somebody said, give me some Nichushkin and uh, I'll love it. I want Newhook to be given opportunities, maybe a second power play spot, but I'd love a big body of Nichushkin on that line. It'll at least be defensively pleasing. So there's quite a few interesting comments in there. Uh, someone even mentioned, cause I didn't really talk a lot about defensemen, but Bowen Byram, uh, someone said that he could have a big breakout year. Um, and if you think about it, you know, as soon as there's an injury to your top four, it was usually Ryan Graves that jumps in. Now, if there's an injury to your top four, it might be Ryan Murray, but it's probably going to be Bo Byram. So he could really have a breakout season as well. So it's just, it's just cool to see kind of all the different options that there is. And, uh, the most interesting ones to me are Nathan McKinnon and Miko Rantanen because, They've both had great seasons. You know, regular season last year, Miko killed it. 30 goals, 36 assists, 66 points in a shortened season. Obviously, Nate had 99 that one year. Uh, Miko had a lot early on in that one season where he had 66 halfway through the season. But they've never both had, neither of them has ever had 100 points. And they've never both been on for the entire regular season together. They did it in the bubble in 2020 in the playoffs. But if they're both on at the same time, you could have a situation where the Avalanche have two 100-point scores. You can have a situation where they do what Marner and Matthews did in the regular season last year or what McDavid and Dreisaitl will do every year. So those are interesting ones to me that I just never thought of because you automatically think McKinnon, Ranton, and yeah, they're going to score, but 
maybe they score a lot more than they usually do and have breakouts. I think the fact that there is such a variety of guys that could potentially have a breakout year here going all the way back to, you know, to the defensive group too, that we completely neglected. It just kind of shows me that this season is kind of in the hands of these young guys. Yeah. You know, if they do, you know, even if 80% of these guys that we've just named have a breakout season, then, you know, the abs could really go far because we're expecting great things out of Nathan McKinnon. We're expecting great things out of Ranton. And sure, if they have breakout seasons of their own, that would be great. But they need the guys behind them to, to contribute. So if those guys are having breakout seasons, you know, O'Connor, uh, Byram, like you said, Cow, anybody, if you just have a handful of them having a big year, this team could really make some noise. So um, I like kind of the fact that nobody can really agree on one guy because there's a handful of guys that can really make a difference this season. And I kind of like the fact that last year we saw three defensemen break out and Gerard, Taves, and Makar all at the same time. And I like the fact that we're going to see that over 82 games. Like, are we going to finish a regular season, assuming everybody's healthy, and by healthy, I mean they play 70 or more games. So Makar, Gerard, and Taves. Are we going to see a season where Makar puts up like 85 points and Gerard puts up like 55 and Taves like 45? Like, those are crazy numbers for a defenseman. Someone's going to eventually drop down. Who's it going to be? Bo and Byram, if those guys are each going to put up that many points, how many are going to be left for Bo? He's an offensive guy too. So it's just, it's crazy to think of how many, you know, the last time the Avalanche played a full season in 2019, the last full 82-game year, their second line was Calvert, Nieto, and Soderberg. So a lot of these guys haven't had full seasons with the Avalanche. Hell, Kadri and Burakovsky haven't had full seasons. Can Berkey score 30 goals? Can Kadri hit 60, 70 points as a second-line center? There's a lot of options out there, a lot of question marks, and it really is in their hands. And I think the one that just came to mind that no one has mentioned, no one has talked about, and it's because he's new, is can Darcy Kemper come in and do what Philip Grubauer did last year and win a shitload of games and put up Vezina Trophy numbers if he stays healthy? There's just so many questions. That's a great point because what what was the conversation around him? I mean, he's such a good goaltender, but he's been on a garbage team, and even he took that garbage team and pulled him out of the garbage for a little while. Well, what's he going to do on an actually really good team you'd like to see him break out and live up to the expectations because he is expected to do great things now that he's actually on a good team so yeah that's a good that's a really good one I think he has to have a breakout season for this season to be a success yeah I mean Grubauer won 30 games off off of 40 starts last year granted you know they played a lot of games against Anaheim and LA and San Jose and Arizona etc but Gruby was 39 and 1 if Darcy Kemper plays 55 games can he win 40? If Gruby went 30 and 10, can Kemper go 40 and 15? Like it's not out of the realm of possibility because you do want to leave 25 games for, for Francis, but it's crazy to think what could happen if Kemper's healthy for a full year. Yeah. And a big chunk of those can easily be like five, one games, six, one games with the offense buzzing and Kemper yep. buzzing at the same time. That's a scary freaking team, but yeah. And it could be similar. It could be similar to Grubauer last year, where hey Kemper, we don't need you to make forty to forty-five saves. We're gonna outshoot the Coyotes because they're still a division rival. We're gonna outshoot them forty-five to fifteen. Just make fifteen saves. We got you. We'll score at least once. Make fourteen or fifteen saves, and we're good. What's the record? Single season record for shutouts. Let's see if he makes a run at that because <laughs> I got a feeling that he's he's gonna get awful close. But um, you know. It's a make-or-break season, obviously. They they have uh, yeah. to put up or shut up here, and we're just inching close minute by minute at actually getting to put our money where our, where our mouth is, right? So um, getting excited as we get closer. I hope everybody out there enjoyed our little off-season podcast. I've liked them. I think they've been entertaining. We we're probably still going to have a couple more of them before we get closer to that rookie camp, but... Uh this one kind of this episode, what it proves to me is, you know, the last episode we did the same thing. The last episode was to show that every team kind of got a little bit weaker when you really break it down and look at their depth. And this one is to show that this is a still a good team. Like it's not comparing it to other teams. It's just saying in general, this is still a good team. You still have the weapons out there. Again, McCard, Gerard, and Taves for a full 82-game season. We've never seen that with this team. We've never seen Sam Gerard in a full 82-game season as a guy that you know can put up 40, 50, 60 points. Last time they played a full 82-game season, he was barely scoring half a point per game, barely going to hit 40 points in a full season. So 
this is another way to show that, yeah, the Avalanche lost a lot of guys, lost a lot of your favorite players. And there's a lot of question marks in certain spots, like the goaltending's health, like uh, Pavel France, who's coming back, the second line left wing spot, Kadri coming off a suspension in a bad season, so on, so forth. But this is a good team. I like how on the last two podcasts, you've wrapped them up with like, you know, kind of like South Park does. Yeah, I learned something today. Yeah, love right, I hope everybody walks away being able to say the same thing. And hopefully after each of the last two podcasts, they view the avalanche in a little bit different light than, you know, we, we kind of are led to feel on Twitter, right? With everybody's animosity and everybody piling their ideas in one place, you kind of start to get a lot of negative feelings um, towards things when you don't really necessarily have to. So I hope we're making you feel better and hoping that we uh, get some optimism in you as we're approaching the start of the season. Yeah, and I, and I get it. Losing Saad and Donskoy and not signing anybody to replace either of them sucks. And Philip Grubauer had a great season and he walked and that sucks and whatever. That's all fine. But to the people that I saw that were having like Twitter, long Twitter thread, long debates about how signing Helm was a mistake and you should have just brought back Belmar. It's not that serious. Like it really, it really truly genuinely is not that serious. That's your fourth line center. I love Pierre Edward Belmar, one of the coolest dudes ever, but it's going to be okay. We're not going to see much of Helm anyway. He's a fourth line center or winger at this point. Absolutely. So yeah, I guess that's a great place for us to stop and uh, wrap it up here. Um, thanks to everybody for joining us during this off season. I hope we helped you scratch an itch with the uh, avalanche conversation i know there's not much going on out there in terms of hockey podcast so we're here for you and we always will be here for you as we continue towards the nhl season so wrapping it up thanks for hanging out with us as always if you made it this far in the podcast bless your heart hockey is for everyone and we out you